0: namaste my good people my name is kathy patton
1: and my name is reverend odell we are your hosts for interruptions disrupting the silence we welcome you to the last podcast that is serving as a trailer for the virtual online production called interruptions disrupting the silence which is scheduled to broadcast online September 5th and 6th. Yes, Labor Day weekend. We are six weeks away. Um, Yes, and I'll give you more information about the production at the end of the broadcast. Meanwhile, during these podcasts, Kathy and I will have real talk about the various topics discussed throughout the production that have interrupted our lives and probably yours. We have had honest reflections, discussions, and debates. In the past episodes, we laughed at how we have been blindsided, bamboozled by our (laughs) earlier childhood beliefs. The name of this podcast is depictive of what happened in my life in 2016. My family and I were living a happy and successful life, and as a mother, I could finally breathe, knowing that my two children, who were in their 20s, had finally discovered their niche in life. Until one day in April, when my life was interrupted, when my son Coop became another casualty to gun violence and was murdered by mistaken identity. That night began a four year journey of traumatic events. We have discussed how I finally acknowledged that I had PTSD, depression. I started drinking to mask the pain I had thoughts of suicide because the grief was too heavy on my heart to bear and as a reverend, I struggled to cope with my faith and God's decision. In addition to all of that, I suffered a brain aneurysm on my son's birth date. And like most of us, while I've been home healing, we have a pandemic. So in the last four years, I have learned much about myself and the importance of listening to my body and to share this journey with you of how i finally broke my silence to share my inherited traditions and societal stigmas on mental health so that others can do the same
0: and i shared the commonality of the fallout was when my life began being interrupted when my child was diagnosed with autism but Before we get started, I ask that you please press the like button and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And most importantly, uh, please share this message with others because someone you know may need to hear this. Yes, thank you. So today's
1: podcast covers multiple scenes in the production. As a reverend, a teacher, and a preacher of the gospel, I took it personal that God did not intervene in saving my son's life. In the production, I give a glimpse into the mirror, into my anger and discussion, and me demanding God to give me some answers of what happened and where was my son. It took an army of angels to help me through my pain, and to help me to finally relinquish my anger with God which leads us to our podcast today called How Did I Get Here Part 2. In the production I give recognition to five specific angels who watched over my broken soul the first 5 years after my the first year after my son's murder in a very untraditional manner. One of those five angels is our guest today which is a pastor, my mentor, a teacher and a friend. We'd like to welcome to the platform, Bishop Benjamin K. Watts, who is the senior pastor at Shiloh Baptist Church of New London, Connecticut.
2: Well, thank you very much, Reverend O'Dell. So good to see you. And since
0: Kathy, it's good to be on with you today. Welcome, Bishop. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) So, Bishop, I'm going to, you know, when someone goes for a job interview and one of the questions probably is, tell us something that's not on your resume. So I'm going to ask you to tell us something about yourself that we wouldn't find by Googling you. What made you decide to become a preacher teacher?
2: Uh, It's interesting. Um, What's not on the resume couldn't be put on the resume. And that is the fact that uh, I've probably been preaching my entire life and that's not uh, hyperbole. Uh, I uh, I have one of those Jeremiah one saints uh, from my mother's womb, God called me and sanctified me to be a prophet unto the nation. Uh, That word was embedded in me from the very beginning. And what was really interesting is by the time I was uh, 15 years old, I preached my first sermon as my initial sermon came forward and I've been preaching ever since. I literally stumbled into the resume, but I walked into preaching uh, wholeheartedly. The resume part came as a result of God's divine direction, but the truth of the matter, the preaching part came by divine insistence. God's hand was upon my life and those around me received me as a childhood preacher and uh, nurtured me in the faith. And I've been preaching ever since.
1: <laughs> Thank wow. you. Thank you. You know, it's, it's those are the stories we love to hear. Yes. Thank you. You know, Bishop, a lot of times we hear in our faith that a preacher is a preacher's preacher. Um, Some pastors will say, I'm a preacher's preacher. And most of the time, I believe people really don't know what that means. (laughs) Can you please explain what does it mean to be a preacher's preacher?
2: Well, I think it has two meanings. Uh, One means that preachers like to hear you preach you preach in a style, a a, a cadence, a rhythm, your hermeneutic, the way in which you interpret scripture, um, it it speaks to their spirit, speaks to their soul, addresses their need. But the second way is they're a mentor. They have the ability to uh, walk with you through your valley in uh, what is definitely unconditional love, positive regard, so that they're able to stand with you at any time on the road and uh, not judge you, but love you through your pain, and in the midst of your pain, uh, to really be Ecclesiastes uh, saints, and to weep with those who weep, and to mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. So, at whatever season someone's in in their life, a preacher's preacher will be there to walk through with them in a non-judgmental way, so that their humanity never overshadows the fact that they have an anointing. Because our humanity, sometimes people think that uh, because you have an anointing, you bear a halo. And the truth of the matter is you bear an anointing, you bear a gift, but that gift has to be functioned and uh, worked within a physical body. And that physical flesh suffers, those emotions suffer. You know, the one thing I tell people, and this is I've been trying to teach for years, God can command behavior, but he never commands emotions. Hmm. He says, That's you aren't doing to others as you have them doing to you. I'm commanding behavior, but he can't command emotion. He says love like I love, but notice the word he used is agape, it's not emotional. It's the kind of unconditional, merciful love. So what people want to believe is that our emotions can be commanded. No, our emotions have to be lived with. We have to learn how to deal with them, to handle them in the crisis to handle them when we are going through uh, situations that we're not comfortable. But that's a part of what a real preacher's preacher understands, the humanity that goes along with the so-called halo.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. If if we weren't in the podcast, I'd be taking notes. <laughs> I, I wanted to reach over for my pen and start writing. <laughs> But luckily, I'll be able to watch this again. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Odell, tell me how you met Bishop Watts.
1: <laughs> I love this story.
0: There um, you? I
1: was uh, attending Harford Seminary, and at the seminary, we had to take classes on Muslim studies and Calvinist theology, and I wanted to learn more about Black theology. Gee, I, I wanted to learn more about our faith, mm-hmm. and I went to my dean, and I demanded a class, and so he said, okay, the next semester, we had the class on liber- on Black Liberation Theology. Everyone knew in the, in the class knew Bishop Watts except for me. Um, he came into the classroom. To me, he was bigger than life. Um, he came in. He sat down. And he sat up at the front of the table and we had all of our assigned books already and our syllabus. So we had did our pre-assigned reading. And he sat down, he looked at us, pulled out a sheet, took attendance, and started lecturing. Uh, lecturing us as if we were doctoral students in a, <laughs> in a PhD program and didn't have any other life outside of this classroom. And He did that for like two weeks and nobody said a word in class. We just listened. And as soon as we had a break, we were like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Um, So because I asked for the class, I was appointed the person to go speak to Bishop Watts and to say to him, please stop lecturing to us. We need you to teach this class because you know liberation theology. You, You know these theologians teach us something that's not in the book. And to me, he was bigger than life. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Um, but they're like, no, no, you have to, you have to. So I could, I got one of the other ministers in the class. Uh, Garland Davis was her name. We went downstairs and we found Bishop Watts in the kitchen getting some coffee. We approached him, you know, he turned around. He didn't open his mouth, Kathy. He didn't say a uh- word. He just turned around like, okay, am I in your way? What do you want? (laughs) And I said it, you know, I've been asked by the class to come down here to talk to you. You know, we would like for you to not lecture to us, but to teach us differently, engage us in conversation. Um, And I went through, you know, these guys, the whole spiel of please teach us differently. And my my recollection of that day, I I could feel the floor trembling. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but Bishop Watts never opened his mouth, didn't say a word. He just looked at looked down at us because he was nice and tall. You know, so Garland and I are shivering, and he never opened his mouth. And we backed away, ran upstairs, and the class said, What did he say? We're like, nothing. And so now we're waiting for him to return. And I'm like, we're just praying. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, what's gonna happen? And when he came back in the room, he sat down, looked at us, closed his paperwork and started teaching us differently.
0: And. Oh, my God. That that's very brave of you to have done that. (laughs) (laughs) But Bishop Watts, did what what made you then start teaching differently? Did it did it sink in what they were saying or. Um, what did you think when you had these two students coming to you and you said nothing well first of all
2: you know she tells that story better every time <laughs> 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 pretty soon I'm gonna really be 10 feet tall at this
0: point. that's right that's right that's the funny
2: that is that for me um, teaching is not about, a pedagogical style that I like or that I have to be locked into. I'm also a pastor. And so my goal is not to meet my need, but to meet the needs of those who I'm attempting to serve. So when she said, and it pricked my spirit, okay, I can work with this because I can flow whatever you need to make sure you get the most that you can from this uh, class. And it was a great uh, interaction. Um, you know, it it it, had be, it was the beginning of my um, appreciation for Odell's candor, but more than her candor, um, but for her sensitivity to the matter, because it was not that she spoke out; it was the way in which she spoke out, um, in, in a manner with, that could be received. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, I'm I was more than happy to accommodate we had a wonderful class after that. Of course, the part she doesn't tell you is that she finished the semester um, in fear and trembling, thinking that I was going to hold it against her. Uh-huh. So she even thought I held it against her until graduation. <laughs> I,
1: I can tell you my first paper, Kathy, he gave me a C. I was like, what? what a C? so but it was honest i mean he was one of the rare pastors that actually read your papers um most of the pastors in the school had their assistant read the papers bishop watt read the papers made the comments and said you have to do better and i was like oh snap (laughs) (laughs) um and i did i did do better he pushed me to do better Mm -hmm. and when i he's telling the truth when i graduated i was coming off the stage still in my robe And he was standing at the end of the stage uh, against the wall. And I was like, oh, man, he's, you know, he He doesn't remember me. He just wants to bug me. And I was going to walk by him. And the spirit said, don't. Mm -hmm. And I listened to the spirit. And I walked over. And the spirit said, thank him. And I did. And holding his hand with the diploma in my hand and my stole He offered me the job to be the teacher's assistant in the the BMP program. He had mentioned that he was going to be the new director and uh, wanted to know if I wanted the job to be the teacher's assistant. And I said to him, do you know my name? I'm Odette.
0: Do you, know who that, do you know who I am? You yeah. have to look around and say, who's he talking to me? Yeah. Did, you, did you want somebody else?
1: Uh-huh. And like, no, I know who you are and I accept it and I have been with him ever since.
0: That's wonderful. Well, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful story. <laughs> and You know, Odell, I want to bring you back a little bit. You okay. talk about in Interruptions, the Five Angels and that Bishop Watts is one of those five angels can you explain that what that means to me so in the production i'm not going to give it all away you'll see Mm -hmm. that there was
1: very specific roles i mean i had an army of angels that watched to help me to get through this but there were five specific angels that i identified who were available for me that first year in a very untraditional unconventional way and the way bishop watts was available he called me and said, we are going to get through this. Whenever you need me, call me. I'm here for you, we're gonna get through this together. Call me 24 seven, I'll be available. And 24 seven, he was available. Didn't matter the time of day, the weekend, I called, he answered the phone. And it was either pray me out of bed, pray me through this day, Sometimes he prayed me, which he didn't know that I you know, had thoughts of suicide. You know, pray me, help me to get through this. And basically I, I remember saying to him one day, tell me something that you believe, that you know about God, that you can't preach from the pulpit, you can't teach in Sunday school, that you believe in your heart that's gonna help me to get through this. Because I needed to know more Other than what I already knew, than what was in the scriptures, I needed something else. And that's what he did. He gave me a story one day, and that was the story that I held on to and I still hold on to that helped me breathe a little better.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, I. I'm gonna ask either you or, or Bishop Watts, can you that, share that story with us? Bishop, do you remember
1: the story of, uh, you told me a story about the souls in the concentration camp?
0: Yeah, it's, it's
2: amazing. That's one of the stories that I think is so powerful. Um, and it's not talked about in church um, because it may come across as crass or difficult to understand, but it's a powerful story from Nazi concentration camp. And the story is simply this, and uh, it's been told many ways. And so it's written in several different styles, but the story is that there was escape going on from one of the concentration camps. And they wanted to find out how the people were escaping. So they took three individuals and they threatened their lives to kill them if they would uh, not tell. Who, uh, what way people were getting out of the camp, how they were escaping. They took an old man, they took a woman, and they took a child. And what they did was they took them and they prepared to hang them. With the old man, they put him up there and they decided to take his life and they said, tell us how the people are escaping. And the old man wouldn't say anything and they took his life And people around there was just squeamish and really upset. And then they took the woman and they did the exact same thing. How are people escaping? And they went and did the same thing. They took her life. But when it came to seeing the child go up there, people were feeling bad and squeamish about the first two, but the child really messed up everyone. How are they escaping? The child wouldn't say anything. The crowd wouldn't say anything, and they took the child's life. And someone asked the question, my God, where is God? To which the answer was given back, God was there collecting the souls of those whom he loved. And now the real issue comes up, and the real moral odyssey, and the hardest part of all of this is, God, why didn't you just save them? Why couldn't you take care of them? And it was the question that Odell definitely had about her son. God, why didn't you save him? Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is that God teaches us two lessons that are often and really important. The first is this. What's important to us is not important to God. For us, life is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. The extension of life is the most important thing. God proves that that's not important to him because his son only got 33 years, his only begotten son. The length of days is not important to God. But what is important, which is the greater lesson, is the soul. That God collects the souls of those who love him. And in Odell's case, after this early baby was shot up like that, I know we would want to hold him here. We want his life to go on. We want the extension of days, but we don't know what kind of life he would have had. We don't know what that existence would have been. And for God, length of days is not nearly as important as his soul and receiving him unto himself. And when we get that, that his soul belongs to God, And we will see him again. We will rejoice with him again. We will fellowship with him again. Because his soul has been collected by his Savior. And it was
1: that story that I still cry about today that I Mm -hmm. held on to that got me out of bed. Mm -hmm. It was hard to hear that God doesn't care about what you care about touching the physical body. God cares about his soul. And what I needed was, I needed something. I needed Bishop to tell me something that he believed in his heart from his experience that I couldn't receive from Sunday school or from the pulpit or the scriptures that I already knew. I needed something more because this wasn't making sense to me. And that's what he gave me.
0: And that was a the,
1: real, the real
2: logic of that that what's important to you is not important to God that that we really then begin to value our souls and we begin to value who we are in God, that we can be with God, mm-hmm. and we know that
0: his soul belongs to the Lord, so. Bishop, in our past podcast, Odell and I have, um, you know, shared tears and laughter talking about as we were growing up, we were growing up with um Christian cliches and things that people may have said in our household and and even uh, you know you were supposed to grow up and you're supposed to go off to college and you get a good job and you get married and you have the 2.5 children in the white picket fence in front of your house and, and that and that's it And so we talked about interruptions in terms of what happens when that doesn't happen and how do we deal with it and the Christian cliches that come back and even Odell and myself, have um, heard those concerns, well, just pray, just pray on it. But for Odell, that story was more of what she needed because it embedded embodied the truth of what God really sees and what he values. And so, but what, she had you, she had you and she talks just so, you know, she 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 admires you so and is so grateful to you that, that, that you were there, that you were there. Um, for her to be able to call on. Um, But what happens when someone is going through something similar or a life interruption and does not have a Bishop Watts? and yet um, they are hearing the Christian cliches sprued at them to well, just pray it away. Um, God hears you, just keep praying. And what what do you say? What happens to the, those people? That, and this is for Odell as well. What happens when people don't have either one of you to understand that?
2: I, you know, one of the things that is important, I tell this to young ministers of all the time, every pastor needs a pastor. Every minister needs a mentor. We need people in our lives, and we need to build those relationships before we need them. Mm -hmm. It's hard to develop that relationship of trust when we need someone. You know, one of the reasons why Odell could hear a hard truth, number one, is she functions in candor. That's her gift. She's going to be honest, whether you like that honesty or not. So for, for her to hear platitudes is frustrating. Don't don't fill me up with that. Just give me the real deal. Let me start getting my head around truth. <clears throat> but relationships build knowledge so that you can now work with a person with where they are. So every young minister, every young uh, religious person needs to learn that they need these people in their lives and start developing them Now, that idea of being a lone ranger, a lone uh, lone woman of God, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs somebody. And that's, that's, that's the first thing. But the second thing is that you have to have people in your life that have had enough life experience that they can hold your life and its value and recognize your worth and your value and not allow any of the flaws that we all have to become a part of the devaluing of your existence. Mm-hmm. Because most people are full of, of Christmas stuffing when they say they haven't had thoughts that are not appropriate for, for Christians. Mm-hmm. They're not telling the truth. They're not telling the truth. You know, We all struggle, but if someone is only, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, sometimes there are days when praise the Lord, praise the Lord, is not the first thing on your mind.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: It's I hurt, I'm in pain, I cry. This is hard. And don't tell me God needs another flower in His garden. God needs my flower. (laughs) That's the most derriere backward statement you could ever have, and you can figure that out translated into slang. Mm -hmm. The, the, the reality is that, that we have to deal with the real. And I tell, I tell people that there are three things that I hold as dear. And that is that I will always seek to be righteous, I will always seek to be raw, and I always seek to be real. I don't want to play with people. I want to give them and deal with their rawness, and I need to walk with them in that. Mm-hmm. You know, last point I want to make real quick. Stop painting the picture of Jesus at Calvary up there on the cross, and it's a bloodless cross. Think about it. It's messy at the foot of the cross. Out from his side came blood and water. It's messy
1: at the foot of the cross. And if you can't deal with that mess, it's the wrong profession. And mess it was. I was I was broken. <clears throat> I was at the lowest I've ever been in my entire life. I remember being home and Jehovah Witness come by on Saturday. And I'm like, mm, not today. She goes, oh, hi, hi. I just <laughs> want to be able to come and just pray with you. I'm like, I don't think so. And she got my wrath. <laughs> and wanted to talk about the, the, the booklet she wanted to give me, the Watchtower, and wanted to pray with me. And she would give me scriptures, and I would finish the scripture. And she wanted to talk about the goodness of Jesus. And I was so mad. And I would, she would just, she got my wrath. And she needed to understand that, listen, my son just died. I don't want to hear about the goodness of Jesus Christ and that jesus christ saved because he didn't save my son and that's where i was and she was so shocked but it didn't stop her from returning she would let me just pray for i'll pray for you and you can't say no when someone says i want to pray for you she came back week after week after week she sat with me she dealt with my mess she listened to me one time she came with somebody else for backup and <laughs> <laughs> and this and this woman said something and I just jumped all over her scripture and she looked at me as she was getting ready to chastise me and the, the woman said ah. she's mad at God her son died we let her live in her space all we do is pray for her and that is what Tiana did so she kept coming, she never stopped coming. And eventually, I don't think I ever ra- read The Watchtower, but she, we would just come and we would talk about nothing and she would pray for me and she would leave. And one, a year later she kept coming and the anger was gone. Mm-hmm. And she said, Miss O'Dell, I never stopped praying for you. And that was sitting with me in my mess. Um, Bishop, I don't know, you probably don't remember, it was during that year you called me and you were trying to get me motivated and you wanted to find out if I was ready to come back to BMP and you wanted to find out if I could teach the New Testament class. And all I could say was nope. (laughs) I am the wrong spirit to be in front of new Christians to talk about the goodness of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ saves. I said, I want to teach the Old Testament class where God destroys people. Um, (laughs) That's where I want to be. And Kathy Bishop said, okay, tell me how you really feel. (laughs) And he left me alone. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check in with you later. But I wasn't ready to teach the goodness of Jesus Christ that year. But you know, here's a here's
2: a, a real. This is the real. That if God can't handle the petty anger of humanity, yes. He's not yes. much of a God. Mm. Not much of a God. A parent, a parent can handle a child's temper tantrum.
1: So why can't God? Mm. Yes, and that's what it was. It was a temper tantrum that's all we look at our kids like and you care that i'm mad
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i can right. handle you being mad you'll get over it but i'm going to keep being your parent i'm going to keep being the provider the protector mm-hmm. and eventually you will come around and eventually that's what happens
0: yeah. so i know correct me if i if i say it wrong but you mentioned that um that Bishop Watts said to you that when you lost poop, that he said, call him anytime. It, and and I'm I'm saying that right. And and so Bishop Watts, I would ask you that that to to that degree that's unusual um, for a pastor to be that um, available to someone and not, and I don't want to say that of all pastors, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying to that degree, it seems unusual. What, what happened in your life to be able to recognize that you needed to deal with Odell differently, maybe than someone else that might have suffered a traumatic loss?
2: Yeah. You know, the, this, um, violence that, that, Took the life of her baby was was just so um, shocking, and you, you none of us ever believe it'll be us. Never believe be me be whatever. It, it it was so jarring that it was not going to be the sequential grieving process that someone might have if you were dealing with the loss of a loved one who had gone through a long-term illness or had gotten extremely aged, and you know, you can build up an expectancy and almost a tolerance for it, although the grief and pain uh, will come. You, you almost begin the grieving early and you work through it. But when you have this immediate stop and loss of life, the emotions are, are never uh, easy to find balance and they come in waves. So the, you may you may have a, a week even without being overly one way or the other, and then you may have a drop or a peak of anger. And so I wanted her to realize that I'd be there to ride the wave with her, and that
1: meant being available. And a wave it was, um, a wave it was, Bishop. You know your your job. Even more so is, more is just just as challenging now as a, as a pastor um, before COVID nineteen happened. We're still having a increase of black on black crimes, police crimes, uh, racial crimes. I mean, we've always had it, but it's even more so in our faces um, with COVID nineteen and people outside of the church. What is it? What's gonna happen? And I I know you don't have a camera into all the answers, but in your opinion, what's gonna happen? What what do the pastors need to know, the leaders, spiritual leaders need to know when the disciples come back to church? And it's not just the mother's grieving from COVID-19, it is a increase of depression, um, grief, from all walks of life, all walks of profession that are going to come back into the church. What is it that church leaders need to know and to do differently?
2: Well, I think the first thing that everyone needs to know is whatever plan you had before COVID-19, you need to scrub it and start afresh because whatever is on the other side of this pandemic will be a new normal. We may never go back to having worship where we used to have it. That's number one. Number two, we have to go in and every pastor needs to accept the fact that mental health should be a ministry within the church like the mother's board or the missionary board or uh, the healing hands or the helping hearts or whatever those other groups. There has to be an understanding that grief ministries need to be developed differently. Ministries of mental health need to be dealt differently. And that we have an obligation to create an ethos that it is okay and actually it is preferred that people would be seeking therapy, mental health support, that that the church puts forth the idea that it is not a lack of faith, To deal with human emotion, that they can be done together. I can pray and I can still go to therapy. I can pray and take medication if that's what's necessary. Yes. I need to, we need we have to create an environment for that. That it's not a sign of faithlessness, that it's not a sign that you don't believe in divine healing or divine intervention. No, you had a major interruption back to the plate. You've had a major interruption that may require you to restabilize your life, and restabilizing your spiritual life, your emotional life, and restabilizing even your family life. Mm-hmm. That's different, and and but we have to create the the space for it going forward.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So Bishop, thank you for that. thank you so much um first of all how are you and and how are you dealing with covid nineteen
2: Well you know it's ministry is completely different i've been working since early this morning mm-hmm. I, uh, I get up commute to my office here from my my room to my office here now, <laughs> and uh, and i'm online i uh i still do counseling i do zoom counseling uh I, I send Zoom invitations at request. I still do all that. Still go to all the other meetings that we are having, both as faculty and within pastoral circles. So it's it's different. It's different, um, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think that I think that the way we're going to be doing ministry going forward will be um, reflective of this new reality. You know, you watch going forward, the churches that come out of this who go back to the same Sunday morning service program that they were doing prior to Mm COVID-19 are not going to do well. Because you got to remember, we have spent time now cultivating a new worship paradigm, online experiences, um, telephone experiences, Facebook live experiences, people actually responding now in hand Uh, in written notes as opposed to the verbal amen. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a new kind of worship experience going on in churches and there's going to be a new sense of what time means Mm -hmm. and time management because people are not, people now will recognize do I want to be in a two or three hour service? Mm -hmm. And if it's going to be a multi-hour service, that service needs to meet my total needs i'm not going to be as comfortable with music that doesn't minister to me yes Just because i want you to feel good that you got and sang your song but that song really was my punishment uh, cuz i didn't come to church to get punished <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't know i think i told you bishop that uh your service starts at 9:30 So I log on, I can go to New London, then to Bridgeport all in a half hour. (laughs) So I log on for your praise and worship. And then I get an alert that Myra Baptist Church is starting at 10 o'clock and then I go to church. (laughs) And then when service is over, then I'm in Virginia, I'm at Alfred Street Mm -hmm. Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm in three places all and I'm in my office. And I'm having a beautiful service. Mm. And church is very different. And, I, and Kathy and I and a few others have Bible study every Wednesday online.
2: Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. It's going to be a different world. It's yeah. not going to be a the, the world. You know, when we were in the sanctuary, remember, uh, most churches, particularly uh, African-American and uh, black and brown people, do in-person giving. So we give our tithes, get our, we have a little envelope, and we, we do what we're going to do, and then we do impromptu giving as as solicited by the pulpit. Well, now we have had to try to flip that from mm-hmm. you know ninety nine point nine percent in person giving to ninety nine point nine percent virtual, virtual uh, uh, mediums, and so it, it's a sea change. And by sea change, that's a phrase that refers to something that completely turns it upside down. The, the seas have completely changed. And you're not going to ever, and I, I use that word very um, advisedly, you're not going to ever go back to exactly the same. There will be some people who will continue to worship online when the, when the doors of the church are open fully. And that has to be all right. Which is why now we're taking in members from all across the world. So, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 You can become a member and you're in Australia as long as you can get up.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Bishop, I know that you, you are certainly. Um, aware of many of the killings that are starting to go on in our inner city communities in New Haven and in Hartford and um, even now in some of the outside towns. And so when we we have honest conversation in terms of we talked about how uh, when Odell lost her son, there was a mother somewhere who knew that her son had committed this crime. And so do you believe that when we have these types of conversations that we're taking our eyes off of Black Lives Matter, when we are turning, want to turn around to say to our own communities, why are we doing this to each other? We started off, uh, since the situation with George Floyd, um, I've never in my lifetime seen so much traction happening, um, in in our own struggle. We're seeing that, um, Caucasians are being held accountable for what they are saying to us and doing, and they're getting fired before it even gets off of Facebook and we're making traction and we were making traction. And then now what's starting to hit the news now is that we're having these uprises in our own communities against each other. Do you think that when we want to have these honest conversations to say, listen, wake up, stop doing this to each other, why, uh, are we taking our eyes off of Black Lives Matter? And then also, why do you think that in the Black community that so many people are hesitant to really talk about the crimes that are going on in our community?
2: Well, the two things can be true at the same time. That is that we can still keep the battle up for uh, BLM and still work on the internal struggle of, of socialized violence within our own community. Those two things can be in, in, in the same held together at the same time without taking our eyes off of either the one of them. We and, and the problem with some people who are talking now, they want to talk about one or the other. Yes. And then what they don't know is they position themselves with, with non-African-American, uh, Black and Brown people and saying, look at those people. Well, we have to realize that just because we're having this moment now, this epoch moment of, of clarity for others, where they're starting to see the struggle, the racism, systemic uh, issues that are going on, doesn't mean that we, at the same time, Ameliorated all the crises within our own community, of the drugs or the violence or the the um, quick temperedness, um, the 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 mindset that makes one feel that any slight is an affront to my personhood, my manhood. Now I've got to take you out. You stepped on my shoe. You looked at me the wrong way. You looked at my girlfriend. You know that's all that is of the result, the direct result of disenfranchisement, poverty, it's the result of lack of education, lack of hope, lack of dream, lack of desire. So, but most of those issues that create the violence in the community are the result of the systemic oppression that has been going on. Mm -hmm. So we have the result of that. So we have cause and effect. Mm -hmm. The effect is the violence within our community. The cause is still there, which we gotta fight against and try to chop down. And that's where the Black Lives Matter campaign comes from because it the BLM only is really, was really focused on one issue and they try to expand it out in their writings but the single issue was police, uh, systemic violence. Mm-hmm. But, but we realize that it's bigger than that. But if that system can fall, then maybe we can get real, true prison reform, real, true social justice reform in terms of, you know, sentencing and guidelines and the whole, like, matter and the three-strike laws taken down the mandatory minimums taken down. Once we knock down the police issue, then we get those other things. But that doesn't... all won't all of a sudden take and raise up the generation. You know, right now, one of the reasons why Chicago is so hot is that the, the, the parents now of the children who are committing violence in the street are the same parents who were disenfranchised when they were children, who never got a chance to get their education, who Mm -hmm. never got a chance to go above their ceiling of their community. They now have children and that generational struggle is kept there in a territorial fight for property they don't even own. They're going to jail for crimes that, that that the other community now is going to be made millionaires for. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So we've got to be able to work on both. We've got to work the social justice piece on this side. And, and by social justice, there, I'm talking about making sure we got have adequate housing, adequate jobs, mm-hmm. making sure we have training programs, making sure, you know, one reason why the suburbs don't need as many police officers.
1: It's because they have resources. Mm -hmm. You have to steal for what you already have. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And see, Kathy, you hear this response? This is what we wanted him to teach in class. And that's what
0: (laughs) he did. (laughs) That's what he did.
1: (laughs) That's what he taught us in class. You know, it's, um, you know, all of it is real and so many questions to Mm -hmm. be asked and answers. I was this Sunday I was at my cousin's house after I leave you Kathy on Sunday, I stopped by my cousin's house Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting outside with my nephew and, you know, he's like, auntie, now that, um, interruptions is coming to the stage. How do you, how how are you dealing with this? How are you, you know, and you're still hearing about, you know, black crime, you know, another killing happening in new Haven. And you're trying to tell your story. He's Like tell me how you're really doing. And i can tell you that i had to i can look at him and and say god doesn't care about what i care about and i gave him that story bishop Mm -hmm. that i'm okay because now i understand it's not i'll never be okay with my son not being here that pain never goes away but the dagger Is pulled out some from my heart so it's not as piercing you know and the pressure is not as tight and I'm talking to him and I'm saying there's some things that I'm okay with as I mentioned to you I think I called you one day Bishop and and talked to you about we were listening to pastor Wesley on Alfred Street Baptist Church and he was telling a story that he was um, at a service for a young girl who was hit by a drunk driver and the pastor said it was God's will and he was like no i i i can't i can't i can't accept that yeah. so he began to teach about free will that with free will there are people who make bad decisions and people who make good decisions and then that people good people become victims of bad choices And it's those words that, in your words and your story, that has helped me to pull the dagger out of my heart and to help me to heal. And I reflect on that story that I could say to him that my son was a victim of someone's bad decision. You know, so if that's the case, why didn't God save Abraham? I mean, Abraham, why didn't God save Martin Luther King? Why didn't God save, you know, you can go through the list of people. Why didn't God save? Why didn't God save? People have free will and they make bad decisions and we become victims of that. And that's what's been helping me on this journey to find soothing words of comfort that are not in the scripture, that are not preached from the pulpit um, to help us to heal.
2: You know, Thomas Aquinas first said it: uh, the free choice of the will is, is the gift of all humanity. Now, the problem with free choice of will is when your will impacts upon mine. Mm. And the tragedy of, of our existence is the freedom that God has given us. The blessing of our existence is the freedom that God has given us. So how could that, that freedom God has given us be both a tragedy and a blessing? Because some people will use their freedom for nefarious means, for devious means. And their freedom will impact upon my freedom and my choice and my joy and my peace. And what I have to learn to deal with is not a God that that says, it's my will for this child to die. It's a God that says, in the midst of it, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to take care of my child and the soul of my child. And then I'm going to walk with you and carry you so that you know that you're gonna be okay. You know, the story of footprints in the sand is interesting because everybody talks about the time where there are two sets of footprints and okay. one set of footprints. And then everybody goes back and says, you know, uh, those are the times when, when we're walking by with God and the times we're walking alone. And no, the, the, the times when you saw one set of footprints, those were not your footprints. Those were God's footprints. <laughs> you. Yes. You thought they were your footprints. Yeah. Those were God's footprints. And you know,
1: God has to carry us through these difficult moments. And it's it's natural, a natural response to question God. Um of course we were taught earlier that you never get mad at God or you never question God. Um and we've in our adult years, we we've learned a lot. But Kathy, I have a question for you. So, Bishop, one of the things that Kathy's been sharing that she is a mother of an autistic child. And Kathy, I have a question for you. Did you ever at any point question God that why did you why are you a mother of an autistic child versus a mother of two healthy children who leave the house at 18 and start their lives?
0: You know, although that's a that's a great question. I um Honestly, I never really questioned God. Um, It was not until uh, my daughter got older that I started questioning why was she not able to have the normal type of lifestyle that other young ladies have. It's hard. It's hard to see that. It's hard to see that your child is not the one that's invited to um, parties or your child is not the one that's going to be able to go out and, and perhaps get married and have that normal lifestyle. But early on, when my daughter, my daughter didn't start talking until she was four, she was sitting on my lap one day and I had my glasses on and she was sitting on my lap one day and she picked up my glasses and she was looking in my eyes and she said, mommy, I see me in your eyes. Mm -hmm. And I started to cry. I just cried because what that said to me was that how I look at her is how she's going to view herself and her life. And so my husband and I were very careful never to pity her, but our expectations were the same for her as they were for her brother. So she may not have had the normal lifestyle that her brother did, but it was going to be as close as we could possibly get it. And there was a time that I struggled where uh, my husband would always go to her PPT appointment so that we could plan for her upcoming year in school. And this was the one time that he couldn't go. And there was a teacher that sat across the table from me. And I believe she was either in the fifth or sixth grade. And the teacher said to me, um, you know, Mrs. Patton, I think that it's probably about time that you recognize that your child has reached her capacity of learning. And and if I could have jumped over that table <laughs> and showed <laughs> her, I, I think I would have. But I I held it together because I wanted to burst out in tears. And I held it together long enough to say to her that you don't recognize who our household uh, uh, responds to, that we report to a higher authority than anyone that is sitting in this room. And when he tells me that my child has reached the capacity of learning, that's when I will hear that. But until then, for you as a professional, as a teacher, to ever sit across the table from a parent and tell them that their child has reached to the capacity of learning, that maybe you're in the wrong profession because no teacher, no one person should ever tell a person uh, such a a thing as that that would just attempt to destroy a person's soul. And so for us, we always had the same expectations of her. Um, we do. We deal with it on a daily basis, and yes, our lives were interrupted, but it's a different type of journey for us, and we had to learn how to really live with that.
2: Okay. You know, the beauty of your testimony is this, that life gives us interruptions. Sometimes we don't get exactly what we thought we were going to get or the way we wanted it, but there's, a, there's always something that God is doing in the midst of it. And by God giving you the grace and the dignity to get the very best for her, you know, you have to, in a way, there's, all, there's like this hopefulness in you hearing you say it. Because I, I realize why God allowed her to be birthed into your life. Yes, Because someone else might not have had that gift to offer that love to this child that this baby needs. And that's It's an enormous amount of of honor because God knew that you had the capacity to love and the capacity to give. And and what what a great thing that you were able to see beyond the myopic thoughts of the insensitive because no one can dictate the failure of your life. Mm -hmm. So you check with God. We don't know what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. I've, seen, I've seen autistic people who, who were completely uh, inaudible, couldn't speak.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: All of a sudden, they were at a drum play one day, and they went to the drum and became one of the most fantastic people <laughs> it was like It was like the heavens opened up, and it was, and it was mm-hmm. We
1: don't know what genius is there. We just may not have discovered it yet. Mm-hmm. We're not you know, you are, you're so correct, Bishop. We, we have no idea of God's plan and, and why things happening in our life, I, re, I remember telling both of you that my doctor said that I could not return to work
0: mm-hmm.
1: the way that I used to. And I was devastated um, since the brain aneurysm that I'd had to reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Bishop said, well, that's probably a good thing. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to tell you what I really said, Bishop. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But I was I was hurt because I didn't understand what that meant, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a year ago. I didn't understand, you know, why was he telling me that I could not go back to my education, my profession, my, my lifestyle, that that's all I knew. And here I am, which is why this podcast is called How Did I Get Here?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because here is Bishop. I, I have written a book. And I called you, you gave me resources to help edit this book. I have become a playwright. Mm -hmm. Kathy and I have been asked to continue the podcast. So now we're on podcast and I'm someone that couldn't speak more than five minutes, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And look at me now. Well,
2: you don't have any
0: problem now, (laughs) (laughs) sister. She does not. (laughs) <laughs> she does not, and Bishop, you. She shared the story of her book. How do you? How do you think? How do you envision her book, and uh, the production interruptions impacting the Black Church? Let me let me say two quick things.
2: Where I know we're nearly out of time. But first thing is, I see this as the beginning and a wonderful entree to opening up a conversation that the Black Church has needed to have a long time, and it is that raw conversation. It is that real talk. It is not that that Pollyannish, pie in the sky stuff, because what we need is to be honest and to say, this is is what I've been experiencing. This is what I go through. And here's how I got to the other side. And here, this may not be what I had before. Matter Mm of fact, it's a new normal, and in some ways, It's a better normal because it is who I am made of the compendium of all of the facts, information, data, and big one experience I've been allowed to have. Amen. I'm looking forward to seeing great things. Beginning of the conversation, I'm looking forward to seeing you ladies. (laughs) Look here, when y'all get syndicated. <laughs> oh, that
1: <funny. laughs> all that we're just taking this a, a day at a time um so our, our time is up and Bishop we could not have had a perfect guest to help us and to help others who are listening to this broadcast to know that it is a journey it is a painful journey but it is a journey and one of the things that we discussed is that, you know, metaphorically, you have a limp and everybody has to figure out how to walk with that limp. Um, and I'm learning how to walk with mine. And I thank you for being a mentor in my life and helping me to get through this. We're not finished because interruptions is coming. Mm-hmm. And it's that's why it's called disrupting the silence. So it's it's time to have conversations.
2: Looking forward to it
1: so our time is up and we say thank you uh earlier in the podcast kathy and i announced that this was the last podcast for interruptions disrupting the silence uh but the director has asked us to continue so this serves as the last podcast for the trailer for interruptions and we will return we will reset rethink of Uh, how this production is going to continue but we will continue to have real conversations that have interrupted our lives and probably yours and to have real talk and real discussions and kathy and i are going to return twice a month every thursday uh first and third thursday correct kathy
0: yes yes first first and third third thursday Uh of every
1: month we are going to continue we'll have more guests um bishop we thank you for being here um, assistant. information in terms of how to purchase your and how to secure your online ticket for interruptions will be given to you, uh, details as you can go to my website, www, the number two reinventyourself.com, And from there you will receive instructions on how to secure your ticket for interruptions. So we thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings on you. Take care.
2: Namaste.